starlight, star bright. First star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might have this wish. I wish tonight. First printed in around 1866 and had travelled the globe as an oral tradition before that and most recently has been heard on the lips of Geppetto, an elderly poor woodcarver who wishes that his wooden puppet would become a real boy. But according to astronomy and the astronomical website that I was looking at, there are approximately 200 billion trillion stars in the universe, or about 10 times uh, the number of cups of water in all the oceans of the earth. So when it comes to the odds of getting your wish from a star, you might want to wish for a better way. Let me pray. Jesus, as we enter into this time around your word, we ask that you would reveal your truths to us, that you would reveal your heart to us, and that we would deeply and more readily want to engage with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wishing on stars whether they be the first star seen in the night sky or as a result of seeing a shooting star, star dates back through centuries. The first star seen at night is likely not a star at all, but probably a planet. As many of you would remember, that the way you tell the difference between a star and a planet is a star will twinkle where a planet's light stays constant. If the light is getting bigger and bigger, then it's probably a meteor hurtling towards Earth. And you're in an action movie, and of course, the USA will come to our rescue. While having our imagination captured by the lights in the night sky, who goes back for millennia, it was Ptolemy who popularised the thought of wishing on stars. Ptolemy was a Greek mathematician, astrologer and astronomer. He apparently suggested that sometimes the gods of the universe get bored and curious on what is happening on earth. And so what they will do is they will peel back, they will pull back the cosmic spheres. And as they did, some stars would slip through the, gra the gap and shoot across the earth's sky. He therefore suggested that shooting stars indicated a period of interest, of intense interest of the gods on matters of earth. And so to make a wish at that time to the gods was to capture, hopefully capture their attention, who then may grant it. Those who push the merits of wishing on stars come up with formula to guide and increase the odds of your wishes coming true. And bookshops and online peddlers are quite happy to sell you information about the energy of the universe and how to speak to the universe and have it grant you your wishes. And to be truthful, it's easy to be critical of Christianity for being just another peddler of wishful thinking, just happy to take your money. And the truth is that tradition without relationship can be nothing more than superstition. 
I remember speaking to one person who listened to music in their car from Hillsong whenever she would drive the car um, anywhere that she was going. And people could easily have considered her to be someone who has a relationship with Jesus. But as I spent time with her and we talked about it a bit more and digging a little bit deeper, she explained that she experienced high anxiety whenever she was driving in her car and feared that she was going to have an accident. So she concluded that listening to Christian music while driving her car would then have God pleased with her and would protect her from having an accident. So how should we respond to things like star signs, horoscopes and astrology? As a follower of Jesus, for me personally, my struggle is that why would we look at things such as the sun, the moon and the stars, and while they can be great at navigating across the earth and help to know which way is north and south and all those sorts of things, to seek their wisdom or to wish upon them and to try and find wisdom from them in being the created, rather than going to the source, the creator. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, we read this. And when you look up into the sky and the sun, moon and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshipping them. The Lord, the Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes that the stars in fact point to God. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his, visible, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. But the challenge is that even prayer can be no different than wishing on starlight, star bright. We can wish, we can pray, we can recite prayers taught to us from childhood and say grace before a meal and they can roll off our tongue without touching our heart. Jesus told a story of a man who relied on his position and on tradition when he prayed. In Luke chapter 18, verses 11 to 12, we read this, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, these cheaters, sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So to avoid falling into the trap of empty tradition or superstition, one should probably ask oneself, well, why should we pray? 
And then, if we should pray, how do we pray? For me, there's a few key things in this, as far as why should we pray. Often people can approach prayer as we do wishing for gifts at Christmas or blowing out birthday candles. We fire our request to God like a child does to Santa at Christmas time. People can also be guilty of spending as much time with God as they do thinking about Santa and Christmas. And it's only when we come up to those times that we think, oh, I better quickly fire these things off when the time is right and when we want something. But the reality is that God loves us and went to great lengths to help us to have a personal, intimate, transformative relationship with God. So prayer, prayer is a relational response to God's invitation to know him and to know ourselves better as well. Philip Yancey, the author, in his book Reaching for the Invisible God, states that everyone has an image of God distorted in some way. And we must, of course, since God transcends our ability to imagine him. But little by little, as we read the Bible and as we spend time listening to God and talking with God in prayer, we are invited into a relationship that should help us to get to know God better. And of course, in doing so, we get to know ourselves better as well, because after all, we are created in the image of God. Prayer also reminds us that we are not God. Sometimes people get caught up in the media hype and believing that they are the most important person in the universe. And that if they believe in themselves enough, they can achieve everything that they ever wish for. But the reality is very different, isn't it? So it's a little wonder that people don't live up, when people don't live up to everyone's um, a winner just because you turn up and you get a ribbon just for turning up on the day, that when we don't live up to those expectations or, or understandings of how we can just wish for it and it will be, that we can end up going into some pretty dark places. We are not God. Prayer reminds us that there are things outside of our control and beyond wishful thinking and fairy dust and speaking to the universe and karma. Prayer also acknowledges God's loving concern for what matters to us. Last week we were reminded from the reading in Luke chapter 12 verses 27 and 28. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory is not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? We come to God as an expression of our faith, that God cares for us and our needs, our wants and the longings of our heart. Prayer also centres us. 
It has the ability to slow us down, to listen to our heart, but also to consider the heart of God. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus encourages us to keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. And it is true that sometimes God does give us exactly what we ask for. But my experience is that there are other times that when I ask for something to change, it doesn't. And it's not as if I'm trying to, um, uh, trying to work out a way around it, but my experience is that what actually changes is me and what I end up asking for. And it's not as if I'm trying to find some backdoor way of manipulating God to get what I want. But rather, as I sit with my request and spend time with God, there is a willing change in my prayer, in what I ask God for. There is a realignment that is more consistent with God's will. We see this with Jesus' prayer in the garden, don't we? When he prays earnestly several times and over incredibly intense period, in Luke chapter 22, verses 42 to 44, we're reminded of these words of, of Jesus. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Here we see Jesus' prayer centering him, and Jesus living out what he actually taught to his disciples. He taught them how to pray. And as Paul read earlier from Matthew 6, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in my life and in the desires of my life. So prayer helps to centre us on God's will. So how should we pray? Well, once again, the comparison between the tax collector and the Pharisee is a really good one to teach us about prayer. Remember the Pharisee thanking God that he was not like others? He relied on his privilege, his position and power. And that saw the Pharisee consider himself better than, better than others, better than those around him because he had the formula. The tax collector struggled, as it were, even to look at himself in the mirror. He saw himself as unworthy, but it's interesting, isn't it? It is very interesting. Uh, rather than not coming to God, rather than just staying away from God and not praying, the tax collector still came. He came in humility, not relying on who he was, but trusting in who God is. Satan would love nothing more than to tell you that because you are not worthy, then don't come to God in prayer. But that is a lie and don't believe it. None of us come to God because we are worthy. We come because we are not worthy. 
We come to God in humility because of God's love for us. And he wants us, he longs for us to come to him in prayer. We're also to come in honesty. Pretending and pretense have no place in prayer. If your heart is aching, then tell God that. If you are angry, then share that with God. The Psalms are full of raw prayers. Some of them, I actually find, are repulsive prayers in their reality. Some celebrate and others are heartbreaking. They model to us an honest relationship with God. We too should come to God with humility, but also with honesty, telling God what is really going on for us, not just what we think God wants to hear. We should also pray to God regularly. With the rhythms of the day, prayer can be such a regular touch point throughout the day, starting with intentionality, by disciplining yourself to spend and set aside time to pray, but then to complement these times throughout the day when you celebrate a win, when something works for you, not just your footy team winning, but when you celebrate a win and something works out for you and, and, and it just comes off and you say, oh, thank you, God, for that. Or when you're wondering what to do next, God, I wonder, should I do this or do that? And then how do I start this? And to talk to God about those things as well. A conversation with God is not self-talk, but it is a reminder that God is with you in your day. But remember that in prayer, as some may also say when it comes to preaching, less is often more. Remember what Paul read earlier, Jesus when teaching on prayer in Matthew 6 verse 7? When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask. Remember that when you pray, it's not as if God's up there listening to your prayer and thinks, Oh, crikey, I didn't know that. Oh, I'm so glad you told me that you needed that. Oh, I'll change everything as a result. That's new information. Prayer is less about information, but it's more about heart. It's absolutely pouring out your heart to God and to share with God your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, your frustrations. Talk with and not at God about those things that you love and ask God to intercede for those that you love. But God loves us more than the sound of our voice. We've got a wonderful niece. We love it a bit. Um, and she's a chatterbox. She will talk and talk and talk. But you know what? We just love spending time with her. And she will just talk about whatever's going on for her and what's happening in her day and all those sorts of things. And we love listening to her and chatting with her as well, because we love her. And that's the same with God. God knows what's going on for us, but he loves us. 
And when we come to chat to him about what's happening, it is something special that God enjoys. And lastly, there is a difference between personal prayer and private prayer. Absolutely not all prayers are fit for and appropriate to pray out loud. But it's also good to remember that personal prayer is an opportunity for us to model to others how to pray and what prayer looks like for us. Prayer can often be abused, unfortunately, as a teaching opportunity or a preaching opportunity, like the tax collector. Personal and public prayers are an opportunity to model humility, honesty and also relationship. So as light and as bright as a star might be, energy and wishes are unlikely to change you or me. But entering into a conversation and prayer with God, the creator of the universe, connects us, with the, connects us relationally with the God of eternity. And prayer to Yahweh God has the power to change, to change our situation, but also to change us in our situation. So how might we respond today? There are several times in the Bible when Jesus is interacting with people and his question to them is quite simple. So I'm going to dare to ask on behalf of Jesus today, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus was to ask that of you today, and he does ask that of you today, how would you respond? I want to encourage you to take out those response cards. I'm going to pray just now. But as the music will be played in a moment, I encourage you to respond to that question from Jesus. What do you want me to do for you. Let me pray. Jesus, as we enter into this moment, this time that we capture, Lord, as we bear out our heart's desire, as we respond to your question of us, what do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, would you prompt would you bring to our thoughts, to our mind, the longings of our heart that we bring before you, our Creator God. Amen. Amen.